We want to continue in our series today, Growing in Knowing God. Every Moed we celebrate, God pours forth the spirit of wisdom and revelation to those who are believing. And, you know, there are so many things I could teach, but I was really believing during our recent Passover resurrection moeds. There were three moeds during that time. I was really believing to receive clear direction. And um, out of that, I began to hear this series growing in knowing God. That every year as we go through the moeds, God has a purpose in this. And that one of the major purposes is that we would grow in knowing him. Church, we're not to stay the same year after year. Our lives are not to stay the same year after year. But we're to grow in knowing God. And as we grow in knowing God, we personally are transformed. And we go from one degree of glory, one degree of blessing, one degree of knowing him to the next level or degree of knowing him, of being blessed, and of walking in the power of God. I want to do a little reviewing because I've said several significant things that I simply want to emphasize, but I've got a little story, a little testimony about a famous golfer. He was very famous in the 80s and 90s, 1980s and 1990s, and he still plays golf today, but he's in the league for the past champions who are older. So he's still playing golf, but he's in the elders league of golfers, and he's won more championships as an elder golfer than any other golfer in that category. And so he's still quite a champion today. His name is Bernard Langer. And he was the greatest golfer in his generation. In fact, he reached the pinnacle or the top of the golfing world. He won the U.S. Masters twice. He was ranked world number one golfer, and he has this testimony, and I'm quoting from him. He said, I had won seven events in five different countries. I was number one in the world. I had a beautiful young wife, yet something was missing. The lifestyle we all especially as sportsmen, are leading. It's all about money and who you are and who you know and what you have. And these things are not really the most important things. I think people who have these things, they realize that there is still something missing in their life. And I believe 
that it is Jesus Christ. And that is Bernard Langdon, Landon's testimony. Bernard Langer describes the spiritual emptiness that is common to all men. All men have experienced spiritual emptiness. All humanity is searching for something. And they think they're going to find what they're searching for in human success. Obtaining money, obtaining wealth, buying the things that money can buy, houses, cars, vacations, clothes, furniture, big TVs, big screen TVs, the latest digital gadgets. They think they will find happiness in those things, but they're always searching because the next day, these things have lost their luster. And so, church, what Bernard Langer is saying, we are not simply a body. We are not simply a mind. Church, we have a soul that hungers to know God. We were created to have a relationship with God. I want to emphasize that word relationship because I don't want anyone to be deceived that you can think it's enough for you to be born again and you're going to be happy and satisfied for the rest of your life. That's not true. Being born again is only the entry into the kingdom of God. But your soul longs and hungers for the presence of God. You were created with a hunger to know the true and living God and absolutely nothing else in life can fill that void. Here Bernard Langer, who is still handsome at 61 years of age, but he was younger when, when he said this, he had a beautiful young wife. So marriage did not fill that void. Bernard Langer had children, but children did not fill that void. He had a lot of money. He was world famous. The money did not fill that void. His possessions did not fill that void, nor did his fame fill that void. He said there was still something missing, and that void was not filled until he met Jesus Christ and received him as Lord and Savior. We will always feel that there's something missing until we receive Jesus. And church, I want to go further. Until we begin living a lifestyle of knowing him. Because knowing God, who is eternal, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. Church, God is all in all. We will spend eternity 
getting to know him, and yet we will never, we will, we will always throughout eternity have that yearning to know him and to be in his presence. That means we must feed and nourish this inner longing which nothing else can fill. We must feed that inner longing. We must nourish our inner man by continually seeking to know God. It's not enough to come to church on Sunday. You can still lead uh, a very empty life. You can come to church on Sunday and still be deeply dissatisfied with your life until you lift up your heart to God and you're honest with him and say, there is nothing in this life that satisfies me. Only you can satisfy me. Only your presence can satisfy me. Man does not live by bread alone. Church, we do, we cannot live this life and have a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction unless we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is the human condition. We will never be satisfied until we come to Jesus and live our lives seeking to know him. Church, I prayed this prayer many times. I don't pray it every day, but sometimes I find myself in a place and this comes out of my heart. I'll just stop and throw up my hands and say, Lord, I want to know you better. I want to know you more. I want to know you better than I know any human being or and better than I know anything on this earth. I'm asking to know you better. That's a prayer I've prayed many times. Like I said, I, I may miss some days, but it's a cry of my heart to know God better. I want to know him better than I know you right in front of me. Hallelujah. You may be here today. You're a husband. You're married to your wife, of course. And, and your prayer should be, I want to know you better than I know Tina, than I know Evelyn, than I know Bridget. I want to know you better, if you're a wife, than I know Norman, and I know Daniel, and I know Duncan. Church, are you with me? That's the one that's closest to you, but you want to know God better than you know anyone or anything on this earth. Make that a prayer, and God will begin to create an intense passion and desire in your heart to know him. Right now, your heart may be filled with desires for many other things. But it's very important for a Christian 
not to just have superficial knowledge of God. We know kidogosana, very little. We have a few facts, and even we can uh, get them wrong, just not knowing much. But church, we want to know him. Until we value knowing God and make knowing God our top priority, we won't have a kingdom of God value system. Our hearts should have a kingdom of God value system, but because knowing God for many Christians is not their top priority and they just have a little knowledge of God, they've heard this here and they've heard that there and they've heard something grandma said and something some preacher said, but they really do not have the knowledge of God residing in their heart. They have a mixed value system. And so you'll find even, you know, even in the church sometimes that there are Christians who steal. Yes. And there are Christians who lie. And there are Christians who are unfaithful in marriage. And they're not responsible to their family, yet they call themselves Christian, but they do not have the knowledge of God that is controlling their lives. They don't have a kingdom of God value system. We need to understand that God and knowing God should have first place in our lives as we seek him day and night. And Philippians chapter 3 gives us wonderful instruction about knowing God. And I'm, I'm not going to review all of that. I'm just going to make a few comments. I shared with you that one of the major things we learn from the first uh, through the ninth verses of Philippians chapter 3 is that we're no longer to put our confidence in the things that we used to have confidence in. Perhaps it's an education. You had confidence that you would be a success if you got a good education and you got a diploma and you had a degree and you were confident that would give you a, a good education. But do you know when you come into the knowledge of God, you realize you cannot put your confidence in earthly things. Now, church, hear me. I'm not against an education. My experience is, after I was born again, there was a lot of my education I had to kick out the door because it was not godly, the things that I... In fact, I had been taught there was no God in university. So what I'm saying is we no longer depend upon and put confidence in the things of the world, but we depend upon and we put our confidence in God who is greater than a college degree. Would you agree with me? He is greater than all the things of the earth. And so we put our confidence in the greater one who lives within us and has a great plan for 
our lives. It's common for people to trust in the things of this world. In fact, the people of the world have nothing else to trust in. But the people of the kingdom of God, we have to have a shift in our lives where we put our trust in the Lord God. And so we read from Philippians 3 and 4 through 7, Paul writes that he once placed his confidence in being a Jew of the tribe of Israel, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He said, I was confident because I was circumcised on the eighth day. He said, I put my confidence in the fact that I was a devout Pharisee. I, Paul was saying, I kept every jot and tittle of the law. And that gave me confidence. He said, I knew the Torah back and forth, the first five books of the Bible. He said, I was passionate about persecuting the church. But after receiving Christ, Paul says, these things were nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. So you have to put the things of the world in their proper place. Our church, your heart will be too crowded to have the knowledge of God enter in. If you put your confidence in seeking the things of the world, you will not have the desire to know God, nor will you have room in your heart for the knowledge of God. Your heart will be crowded with the things of this world. So Paul was saying these things became as nothing to him compared to knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord. Knowing Christ, church, has eternal value. So we consider everything else loss compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And then I shared with you, because of the preeminence of our God, now we devote our lives to being in intimate with him. So it's not just seeking head knowledge of God, but we devote our lives to being intimate with him. We begin to ask that God would transform the desires of our hearts. We say, Father, I know this desire that's in my heart. I know you know it's in my heart. And I know this desire is not profitable for me. So I'm asking you by the power of the Holy Spirit to work in my heart. I'm willing to have the desires of my heart changed. Church, I don't know about you, but I've never, I, I cannot say I've always earnestly desired everything God would want me to desire. So I've had to pray this prayer. Father, I can tell I don't want to do your will in this area. And I can tell my heart's not in it. I, I can tell I'm resisting. There's a resistance in my heart to what you're showing me is your will. And I'm asking you, change 
the desires of my heart. I give you permission and I ask you, work in my heart until my desires line up with your holy will. So we can ask God to change the desires of our heart. If we don't do that, church, I promise you, the things what the Bible calls, the things of this world will crowd out the desire to know God. The busyness of life, the effort to make money, the effort to get ahead, all the busyness that we can be involved in in the world chokes out, crowds out the desire to know God and to take the time to spend in his word. But a mark, I always look for this. You don't look for personality, but personal, having a good personality, church is good. But having a good personality does not make you a good minister. <laughs> I mean, it's good to have a good personality. Hey, let's not any of us stay with a bad personality. But having a good, charismatic personality, you're funny, people enjoy being in your presence, doesn't mean you're anointed. It doesn't mean you have the knowledge of God. Are you with me? So a mark of, of Christian maturity and beginning to advance in ministry. Every one of us are called into the ministry. And a mark of Christian maturity is a wholehearted focus on knowing God. You are focused in, on knowing God. There's a hunger in your life for the word of God, both to hear the word of God and to study in your own time. You have a passion for God's word and God's presence. This is a mark of maturity. And as we begin, church, this is another point that I've made that is very important. As we begin coming into the knowledge of God, and we're, we're actually reading the word, we're hearing the word, we're receiving the word into our heart, I want you to know this. You will experience processes of repentance all throughout your life. There is not just one time that you repent Yes, we repent of our sin when we come to Jesus. But that's not the only time you will repent. You are forgiven when you come to Jesus. But then we have this issue, how are we going to live our lives? And as you begin learning the word, your thoughts begin to be transformed because you begin understanding, oh, I've been doing this, and I've been living this way, but that's opposite the word of God. God's word tells me I need to begin living this way. And so what that involves is you change your mind. And church, when you change your mind and begin to think God's thoughts, you're going to change the way you talk. You're going to have to repent of old ways of talking. 
if you're going to come into the knowledge of God. And you're going to have to repent of old ways of doing if you're going to come and live in the knowledge of God. So as we humble ourselves to obey God and live by his word, there will be repentance in our thinking, in our speaking, in our actions, in our living. We will treat people differently than we used to treat them. So there's all manner of repentance that a Christian experiences as they come into the knowledge of God. Why? Because we now live our lives in Christ Jesus. We no longer live in the world. We're, we're learning new godly ways to live as we come to know him. Church, it doesn't happen overnight. As long as we're on this earth after we receive Christ, we need to be quick to repent when God reveals his will to us. Be quick to repent. Be humble. An humble person is quick to repent. An humble person is quick to agree with God. An humble person wants their life to come into line with God's word. A prideful, stubborn person insists on continuing to live life the way they choose. They don't choose to live by the knowledge of God. So it doesn't happen overnight, but from the time we're born again, as we come into the knowledge of God, we're consistently turning our lives toward him. Away from the world and turning our lives to the light of God's word. Isaiah 55 and verses 8 through 9. This is the New King James. <clears throat> It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. How many of you can agree with that? That once you were born, born again and began to hear the word of God and read the word of God. I mean, church, my thinking has been transformed. What a transformation. Nor are your ways my ways. Now, we can just stop right there and have church. Every one of us have to face this. Our thoughts are not God's thoughts. Our ways are not God's ways. Now, I've been born again over three decades, about almost four decades. And so a whole bunch more of my thoughts are God's thoughts than the day I got born again. I think much more like God now than the day that I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. A whole bunch more of my ways are God's ways now. In other words, his thoughts have become my thoughts. Not all of them yet. My mind's still being renewed. I don't know everything. And his ways are my ways. Okay, maybe not every way, but when I find out 
something that, you know, by the time you're my age and you've lived for God this long, uh, you're not out in the bar seeking company there. Are you with me, church? Uh, They're just, uh, uh, not that I ever did that. I didn't even do that as a sinner. But you get my point. I'm trying to make a point. Much of my thoughts are God's thoughts, and much of my ways are God's ways. But hey, church, I'm still going through that transformation process, just like you are. But I've made up my mind to know God. And I've made up my mind to put Him first place in my life and live for Him. So my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Church, this is very significant to understand. That our lives, after we're born again, will go through continual processes of repentance and transformation. Either that or we will be born again and will be what's called a carnal Christian. A carnal Christian has asked, they've come to the cross, they've asked God to forgive them, and they say, itty bitty baby, spiritually. Their lives are not being transformed. Their thinking is not being transformed. They've got a big body, but on the inside, they're an itty-bitty baby carnal Christian who still throws fits, who's still very disobedient to God. Church, are you with me? I'm, I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just saying that's where we start out, but we don't have to stay there. We can go on to know God. And that is to become the great quest of our life is to know him. So, as we come to know God, and we, we come into the knowledge of God, Paul prays a very significant apostolic prayer in Ephesians 1. And verse 18, this is the new King James, he prays. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. See, this is supernatural wisdom and revelation that's granted to you. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. And I want us to pause right there. So we're... To come into the knowledge of God, Paul prays, that we would know him. And now there's something else we need to know, that we would know the hope of his calling. Church, what is that we may know the hope of his calling? That is Jesus' calling. In other words, that we may understand the ministry of Jesus and the purpose for which God called him to ministry on this earth. Yes, first step is that we make seeking the knowledge of God our first priority, but there's another step we need to take, 
And that, that is that we may know what is the hope of Christ's calling. Now, this is very, very significant. We won't understand our own calling unless we understand the hope of his calling. Where is his calling? Look at Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. Luke 19 and verse 10. Church, this one phrase alone could be a whole series, so I'm going to touch highlights on this. Jesus' calling is found in Luke 19.10. It says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's speaking about you. It's speaking about me. It's speaking about mankind in every generation. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. And church, we need to understand the hope of his calling. In that calling, we are to find hope because church, we're the body of Christ and we have that same calling. I'm the body of Christ. You're the body of Christ. And if we don't understand the hope of his calling, we will never understand our own calling with any depth. The eyes of our understanding being enlightened. In other words, this takes supernatural revelation. You can hear this today. And if, if, if you don't work with the Holy Spirit, you won't see much. You'll think, I don't think that's very important. I don't see anything in that. Well, it takes supernatural wisdom and revelation. That you may know. This is intimate knowledge. This is revelation knowledge. What is the hope? Of his calling. Let's look at Ephesians 1. And because this is the message Bible, we're going to do verses 18 and 19, the message. I ask, ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally. Your eyes focused and clear. So that you can see exactly what it is he is calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this. That's why, wait a minute, grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him, endless energy, boundless strength. In other words, those who get this revelation, you understand what God has called you to do through Jesus Christ. God will supply endless energy and boundless strength for you to do it. But if you don't have this revelation of knowing the hope of his calling, church, you'll drag through life, tired, confused, bewildered, 
dragging one foot behind the other foot. Because I'm telling you, after you've lived a little while, life can drag you down. The problems can pile up. Woe is me. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. That can be your testimony. But if you know the hope of his calling and understanding the hope of his calling that he came to seek and to save the lost, you find your own calling through the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him and in the hope of his calling, he will supply you with endless energy and boundless strength to fulfill your calling. I tell you, if you want to live a good life, if you want to feel good and do good and be obedient to God, seek the knowledge of the hope of his calling and enter in to your own calling. We need to see exactly what he is calling us to do. So Paul is praying that each one of us might understand that we have a calling. But if we don't understand Christ's calling, we will never understand our own calling. Now this word call or calling is very, very significant to every Christian. We're called to know God. And church, we're called to know our calling. We're called to know God. And we're called to know our calling. We're not to wander around confused about this. Let me tell you, the word church is actually made up of two Greek words. The word church in the Greek is ecclesia. And it actually means the called out ones. So just the fact that we're a member of the church means that we're called out. Well, what are we called out of? We're called out of darkness into his marvelous light. In Galatians 1.15, I'm talking about calling now. Paul <clears throat> wrote, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, we get a revelation in this scripture that we're called through the grace of God. In other words, we're not called because we're handsome. You know, I think there are some men that I've seen, they're very proud of their appearance and they make the most of it. And because they're handsome, they're called pastor or they're called bishop or because I don't, you know, you don't see the fruit of the gospel in their lives. So we're not called because we look a certain way. Church, we're not called uh, because of any uh, talent or merit or who we know or what we look like. We're called by the grace of God. It is only through the grace of God that we're called. Boy, that's important to know. Church, you're not called because you have money or don't have money. 
You're not called because you have this name or that name. You have a call. I want everyone to put your hand on your heart. And I want you to say, I have a call. I want us to say that three times. I have a call. I have a call. I have a call. Oh, let that sink in today. You're not called to live as the world lives. God has called you. Now notice how he called you through his grace. It's the unmerited grace of God. Not that we merit it. Not that we deserve it. Not that we've earned it. It is God's grace who that calls us to our holy calling. Second Timothy 1 9 in the New King James. Is that Second Timothy 1 9? All right. Second Timothy 1 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, and in other words, we can't earn it, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. So we're called, church, each one of us are called because of the purposes of God. God has a purpose for our calling. And church, we're called by his grace. It is God's grace through which we are called. How important these scriptures are because of God's purpose and grace. Let me read this to you in the NIV. It says, he has saved us and called us, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. So this is in the eternal mind of God. Your call is in the eternal mind of God. In Christ church, we have a living hope that encourages us day after day. 1 Peter 1.3 in the New King James says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our call, our call through the Purpose and grace of God, church, results in living hope. This is one of the results of our understanding that God has a call on our lives through his purpose and through his grace. That knowledge should birth a living hope within us. A living hope. In other words, none of us should be walking around. I don't know what the purpose of life is. I think I'll go to a a big meditation they're having in India. I, I knew this woman who did this. She would go on quests to India. 
I don't know how many, she died several years ago of cancer. I don't know how many times she went to India on a quest. Maharaji Zukumbaku was speaking. <laughs> or this guru and that guru would be speaking. I mean, she was wandering around. What, what is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? And she was in her 50s at that time. You know, church, she did not have a living hope. But once we, under, once we begin coming into the knowledge of God, and we understand that God actually has placed a call on our lives. He has a great purpose for your life and for my life. This should birth within us living hope. Living hope that my life has purpose. It, it has meaning. It, my life means something to God. He did not just save me for no purpose. He has put a call of God on my life. And he wants to equip me to fulfill it. He, he wants to use my life to fulfill the hope of Christ's calling. In our generation, church, we're the body of Christ. If the work of Christ is going to be done in our generation, it's because the body of Christ has this knowledge that we have a call on our lives and we are to seek and to save the lost in our generation just as Christ did in the generation in which he walked the earth. That gives us a living hope. It gives us a living purpose. It just clears up so much confusion and question that we might have about life. No, we have been begotten again or born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What is our hope? Church, I, oh, if this is a living hope, what is our hope? Church, our hope is that after we have lived our lives upon the earth, we will see our Savior face to face and we will live with him in heaven for eternity. Our hope is, as we come into the knowledge of the call, and the call of Jesus Christ is our call, our hope is that when we enter into heaven, we will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter in to the joys or the rewards that have been prepared for you because you fulfilled your calling through the grace of God. Our hope is that we will see our Lord face to face. We will live in heaven with him for eternity. We will be rewarded for fulfilling our call upon the earth. So church, this kind of, I sum it up, in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12.
This is the new American Standard Bible. This is where we are today. For now we see in a mirror dimly. Now church, what does that mean? Do we see everything clearly on this side of eternity? No, we see in part. But then face to face. This is our hope that one day we will be face to face with our God and our Savior. Now, I know in part. But then, listen, now we're talking about seeking the knowledge of God. We just know part now. Although the Bible reveals all, church, I don't perfectly know all yet. Do you? If anyone says yes, I want you to get up here and preach. Are you with me? We know in part, but do we keep growing in knowledge? Yes, I'm growing, you're growing, but I I know in part. But then on the other side, I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. Somebody say hallelujah. The day is coming where now we're seeking and we have what uh, the scriptures say, here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. We know in part, but then, church, hallelujah, we will know fully. We will know God. We will understand him. We will not have the hindrances. We will not have demonic interference. We will not have the distractions in heaven. We will know fully. But we're called on this side of eternity to seek to know him. To seek to know the hope of our calling. We're to seek, well, if God wants me to do something, he'll tell me. No, you have to bring your life before God and humble yourself before him and say, Father, I I want to know you. I want to know you better today than I did yesterday. And, And sometimes I'll say this. I'll say, Father, I want to know something you're thinking that I don't know. Father, I'm asking you, tell me something I don't know that you know. I want you to teach me something today. Father, show me how am I doing where my call is concerned. Is there something I'm not doing that you want me to do? And when he shows me something, I begin seeking. Now, how do I do that? And usually when I say I, it means we. (laughs) Not just I, but it involves more people. And listen, your call involves more people than just yourself. Are you with me? Do you know there's some some things that aren't functioning as well as they should because you've not agreed to do God's will and join up with the rest of us who are attempting to do God's will. Did you know that? When some part of the body is not willing to do the will of God, do you know it affects the whole body? Well, I'm going to let you think about that. Hallelujah. For now we see in a mirror dimly, 
but then face to face. That is my living hope that I will see him face to face. Although I see dimly now, my living hope is the day is coming. I will see him face to face. And now I know in part, but my living hope is, but then I will know fully, even just as I also have been fully known. In other words, God knows me inside out. The day's coming, I'm going to know him inside out. Wow. Can somebody say wow? We're going to know him as we have been known. Church, listen, knowing God and knowing that we are called and fulfilling our calling requires a maturing process for the individual and for the church. It requires a maturing process for the individual and for the church. Paul is appealing to the Ephesians and to us to grow in knowing God. This is an appeal that Paul makes so that we don't stay baby immature Christians living like the world lives. He makes this appeal. I pray that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened that you may know him. Hallelujah. So Paul's appealing that we would grow in knowing God and that we would grow in knowing that we have a holy calling. We individually have a holy calling. We as a church body have a holy calling. The more we know God, church, the more we will understand this. The more we understand this, the more we will love him for the greatness that he is demonstrating toward us. The more we know God, listen carefully, the more we will understand that he has blessed us with tremendous gifts bought by the blood of Jesus that we may fulfill our calling. The gifts, the graces of the Holy Spirit are available to us through the blood of Jesus. What a price he paid for us. What a price he paid that we might enter in to his holy calling. These blessings and gifts that have been purchased by the blood of Jesus equip us to fulfill our holy calling. The blessings, the gifts that are released by the Holy Spirit equip us to fulfill our holy calling. This knowing that we have a calling is supposed to motivate us to seek God, to seek, whole, to seek holy living. That means understanding. 
that we have a holy calling to fulfill should motivate us to seek to know God better, to seek to live a holy life. It should motivate us and give us passion to fulfill our call. Church, the body of Christ, God desires that we passionately desire to do his will and that we not let anything stand in the way of doing his will. And knowing God, knowing that we have a calling, motivates us to seek God, motivates us to live holy lives. It, it motivates us to be passionate about fulfilling our calling. And it releases hope that we will one day be in heaven with God forever and ever. We have a living hope. Hallelujah. Be faithful in little and God will make you ruler over much more. I want to close. Paul wrote to the Ephesians. But I want to tell you a little bit in closing about Ephesus. Ephesus in Paul's day was very prosperous. This Ephesus was a very famous city, very well known. It had hundreds of thousands of people living there. It had many travelers passing through because Ephesus was a seaport. So it had a harbor. There was a lot of trade from other nations and other parts of the world that would come in to the harbor of Ephesus, bringing all kinds of wealth into the city <clears throat> to be bought and sold. Ephesus was not only very wealthy and very prosperous, it was very sophisticated. They had sophisticated dwellings. They had high-rises, which were very uncommon in the ancient world. It was also highly cultured. There was a lot of education there, a lot of sophistication. In fact, Ephesus was one of the crown jewels in the Roman Empire. It was part of the Roman Empire. The Romans ruled in Ephesus, but Ephesus was considered the most precious in the crown jewels of the Roman Empire. It was also famous because of the Temple of Diana, where Diana, or in the uh, Greek her name is Artemis, her name was Artemis, or Diana, was worshipped in Ephesus. And that temple was considered to be one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. I'm painting for you a huge city. I'm painting for you a wealthy, very prosperous city. I'm painting for you a city that was highly successful in business. So much business was done in Ephesus. I'm painting for you 
a city that loved the arts. All kinds of art has been uncovered in Ephesus. They were highly cultured, very sophisticated. Ephesus in that day was second in importance only to Rome. Only to Rome, the city of Rome itself. Ephesus was second in importance only to Rome in that day. Now let me say this. I've painted for you an absolutely fantastic, fabulous city in the ancient world. An exceptional city. But Ephesus had Christians living in it. Paul lived there himself for three years. Christian tradition says after the crucifixion of Jesus, the Apostle John, whom Jesus gave his mother into John's care, the tradition says the Apostle John settled in Ephesus with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and he lived there and wrote the epistle of John in Ephesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the epistle of John, it is said, was written in Ephesus. Now, I've said Ephesus was a port city. So there were so many ships that would come in to that harbor to offload their goods and take on goods and travel elsewhere. The trade made Ephesus extremely wealthy. But eventually, silt began to build up in the harbor in Ephesus. Malarial swamps developed because of the silt. And it actually became deadly to live there. Although they kept trying to scoop out, dredge out, the sand, and the silt. The seaport was lost. The cult of Diana began to diminish. And then the worst thing of all, the German Goths, G-O-T-H-S, sacked Ephesus. Have you ever heard of the barbarian hordes that sacked most of Europe? I mean, they, these were brutal. The bar, they were the Germanic tribes. They were called the barbarians. <laughs> and they sacked Ephesus. That, that means, you know, you don't live much living. There are not many left living when you sack a city. As a result, today, only tourists... And archaeologists go to Ephesus. All the wealth, all the splendor, all the sophistication, all the trade, lost, gone. Church, they may not have known it, but they did not have a living hope. You cannot trust in wealth. 
You cannot trust in anything but the word of God. You cannot trust in the might and the power of men. You cannot trust in man's sophistication and culture. The day will come that which men built will come to an end. But the Christians who once lived there, and there were, there were a number of Christians who lived in Ephesus, the Christians who knew God, the Christians who served God, the Christians who fulfilled their calling, they're in heaven today, rejoicing with God in glory. Their hopes were not dashed because they didn't put their hopes in the things of men. They, put, they had a living hope. They put their hope in knowing God and in knowing God in serving him. Can you say amen, church? All was not lost in Ephesus. Much of Ephesus was lost. Much of Ephesus, it's just ruins when you go there today. The glory of man does not endure. But we have a living hope. We trust in the Lord our God. And those Christians are living in eternity now with God. And this is the hope of our generation. It's a living hope that is found in knowing God through Jesus Christ. Church, let me end by saying, we make this a prayer, that we might know him. We make that a constant prayer. Father, as I come to your word, I pray to know you. Lord, as I study your word, teach me something I don't know. Lord, as I walk through this day, I'm trusting you to help me, to guide me, to lead me into all truth. So church, we pray that we might know him and that knowing him, we might fulfill our calling by serving him. We enter into the calling of Jesus Christ to seek and to save that which was lost. Knowing him, we serve him. And in serving him, we will fulfill the hope of his calling. And then, this is our living hope, we will live in eternity with him. Seeing him face to face, that which we've known in part, we will know fully. And we will live in glory with him forever. But church, it all begins with knowing God. Hallelujah. Did you receive anything today? Did you learn anything today? Let's stand up, please. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. As you stand up, would you lift up your hearts and lift up your hands in thanksgiving that he's teaching us, he's equipping us, he's strengthening us. Father, we just lift up
our lives before the throne of grace and mercy. And we want to give you thanksgiving for the knowledge of God. Oh, that we might know you. And in knowing you, that we might enter into the hope of our calling. As we enter into this living hope, Father, may we serve you. May each and every one of us, within the sound of my voice, have the revelation that there is a call of God, an eternal call of God upon each and every one of our lives. And Father, may we have that revelation that together there is the call of God upon this body to seek and to save the lost in our generation. Father, may we know this as we've never known it before. May our eyes see what they've never seen before. May our ears hear what they've never heard before. May our hearts comprehend your will as we've never been able. We've never had the strength to comprehend it as we do today. Father, strengthen us to lay hold of the will of God. Father, I pray We ask this as a body that the knowledge of God would be in this church congregation. We are asking for the knowledge of God, not just for the sake of knowledge, but so that we may do your will, oh God. Where there's been darkness, Father, may we have light in our hearts. Where there's been confusion, may there come understanding. Father, where we've made mistakes, we receive forgiveness today. We receive cleansing by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, may the knowledge that we one day will be face to face with you. May everything that does not please you, may everything that is outside of your will fall off of us, be laid aside in the name of Jesus. Father, may we we live lives well-pleasing unto you, O God, knowing you, that we would serve you. Serving you, that we would fulfill the hope of our calling. And in fulfilling the hope of our calling, Father, we look forward to being received into glory and hearing you say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Father, I make this prayer for everyone within the sound of my voice that we will hear those words from you. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I pray this in the matchless name of Jesus.